Three, two, one. What is up? This is Football Life Presents the Audible Final Four Edition. I am your host, Randy Hammond, with my co-host, Matt Bushnell. Matt, I'm sure you're much warmer than I, but how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Randy. You know, I always used to, you know, during these drear months and the chillier weather, you know, we, we broke back into the 70s here, which is which is nice, but, yeah. you know, rainy and cloudy with the chill in the air, so... Got to find a way to stay warm down here. You, you poor thing. Uh, you, you, you poor, poor thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we have a, a loaded show for you. Obviously, the divisional round is in the books. Great weekend of football. And now we have a great weekend of football coming up because of it. Uh, my ideal Final Four, I like to think, I think before the playoffs, if you ask me what I wanted in the last four teams, these were it. Maybe you could substitute the Ravens in for the Bills. But regardless, this is going to be a great Final Four. I think these are the four teams that uh, could totally win the championship. And we're going to break down each and every one of those games and, uh, and all the games that happened as well. So, Stick with us throughout the, the rest of the show. We're going to get through all of the games that happened, all the games that are coming up. Our friend Corey Richmond will be coming on to talk about his Browns coming up in a little bit. But we're going to start with some news. And the biggest news, I guess, uh, Matt, would involve a quarterback that we consider top five, maybe top three in the sports. Uh, reports coming out of Houston <clears throat> that Deshaun Watson has taken his last snap as a Houston Texan. And they are looking to move the disgruntled QB. The organization seems to be going up in flames. I mean, they've made several bad decisions leading up up to this point, but it appears that he hasn't formally asked for a trade, but it appears that Deshaun Watson is on the market. Yeah, today I've heard from several people, several different media sources, and also a few friends within the know that (laughs) Deshaun Watson has informed the Houston Texans that he will not take another snap for them. Uh, he, He did behind the scenes say that, you know, they need to find a trade. Deshaun has a full no trade clause in his contract. So he's really going to dictate who he goes to in this deal. So the major players that we think that we they have to watch out for, Randy, at this point is really we're looking at teams like the Bears, the 49ers, and the Dolphins. I think either one of those three would be the front run, runners right now. But the Rams do have interest, as do the Colts, as do the Falcons. Uh, the Jets also do have interest. So the market is going to be flooded with offers. So I think it's going to be interesting what team Deshaun wants to go to and what team might be willing to mortgage a lot of the future that they're going to get. Look, uh, yeah, and at the end of the day here, you're, you're going to give up a ton, but every team in the whole league minus, I'd say, two to maybe, maybe three to five teams should be calling Houston to try to make a deal for this guy. Every team is looking for a franchise quarterback who can do the things that Deshaun Watson can do. Um, the Bears could go back to 2017 and right the wrong by not – when they did not draft him and get him now. They'd have to jeopardize, <laughs> completely jeopardize the future in order to get him, uh, but it would be, in a, a, in a way, righting the wrong. Um, for the Texans, this could be a way to undo some of the, the wrongs that Bill O'Brien did, uh, trading DeAndre Hopkins, trading all of these picks for Laramie Tunsil, and trying to sell, uh, you know, David Johnson, the washed up running back, and, and Randall Cobb to be weapons after <laughs> you got rid of all of their playmakers. Uh, Deshaun Watson is that guy. I mean, he is top three in the league, one of the best quarterbacks you could possibly have. He's so young. I believe he's only 24 years old, maybe 25. But regardless, you want this guy. He's going to make your franchise set for the next 10 years. So if I'm a a team, I look at the 49ers, 
And I say, I'm already in a window to win now. I can afford to give up a few picks the next couple of years and still have enough to win. The question is, is it three first rounders? Is it three second rounders? Is it uh, plus an all pro type player? You're going to have to throw in a Fred Warner there. How much are they going to ask? Because you are the 49ers. You have been very well run. You've accumulated enough talent to be in the position that you're in now. What are they going to ask for you? This is what happens to the New York Yankees. Every time the New York Yankees are going to make a trade, they get a Yankee tax. Everyone asks for Glaber Torres. and doesn't, They don't care about the farm system. Are they going to have to give up? They're going to ask for Joey Bosa. Well, guess what? We're not giving up Joey Bosa. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. The Bears, I don't know what the Bears can give up as far as player-wise, but I know that they would probably be willing to give up some picks. Uh, Matt, what are you comfortable with as a Bears fan uh, looking at Deshaun Watson? I mean, you you obviously want the quarterback, but you're going to have to give up a ton to get him. Yeah. uh, My opinion on this is, as it stands right now from today, I think every player is on the table for the Bears. Um, what I would be comfortable giving up, um, I could see a team Hicks going to Houston. I could see Roquan Smith going, a player like Jalen Johnson, maybe Eddie Jackson if they're interested. Um, really, and, that, and then I think it's going to be three ones to pair with that. So they're going to trade three first-round picks. And I, I think they'll get three second-round picks as well. The thing that people say, you know, that the price is high. Absolutely, it's high. But we're talking a top three quarterback. So you take a look at teams like the Rams who have Jared Goff. What are they going to have to give up? When you pick later in the draft, it's going to go higher. Mm-hmm. So the price on Watson's going to reflect where they think you'll be picking. Because I always just have a theory. Brett Favre was always good for eight wins a year. I always thought that. I still believe it. Guys like Aaron Rodgers can will their team to wins. Deshaun Watson's very much in that category. He's, you know, probably the third best quarterback in the NFL as it stands right now. I I, I think what you'll end up seeing is, and I'm going to go on a limb here, and I'm just going to make my prediction right now, Randy. I think the Bears obtain Deshaun, or Deshaun Watson. It will cost them five first-round picks, three second-round picks, Picks and Roquan Smith. And I, I think the Bears are going to do that deal because they know they have to outbid everyone. And could you see that they could you see a Khalil Mack being thrown in there just to ensure that they outbidded everyone? I, I think the cap hit is going to be too high for Mack. Um, you'd have to get really creative. Right now, if they traded Mack, it'd be a $34 million cap hit which with the cap going down, the way it's going down, it'd be really cost prohibitive for them to do that. Would I do it if I didn't have to worry about the cap number? Absolutely. Um, To answer Joey and Akil's questions here, um, Deshaun can veto to any team in the NFL. He has full veto power. He's already um, talked with the Texans and the four teams that he has given permission to seek trades with are the Miami Dolphins, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Bears, and the Francisco 49ers. Those are the four teams that he's already said he'd waive his no-trade clause to go to. I mean, so, you'd obviously be a great get for Pittsburgh, but this problem is to the Steelers is you have a big Ben uh, looming around your franchise. It doesn't look like he's going to retire. So uh, I feel like that that deal is probably not going to happen. The Dolphins, to me, feel like a team that could totally make this move work because they have two first-round picks this year. They have a quarterback they can give up in exchange. I know he struggled this year, but I don't think uh, anyone is totally out on Tua at this point. 
I think if you're Houston, you should want to try to get a young franchise QB in the in exchange if you can, because then you can take all those other draft picks and try to build something around them. Uh, if you trade Deshaun and don't get a QB in return, then you have to use one of those top picks for a QB, and you're kind of just doing this whole thing all over again here. So accumulating talent is a big part of this game. And if you have a, a, someone at the QB position that you're committed to, that affects this, I think, for sure. If I'm the Dolphins, I give up Tua. I give up number three. If they want number 26, I'm fine with that too. And I can give up next year's first. And then you're only out of first round picks this year and next year. And you're back and ready to go uh, in 2023. Uh, I know that's in the AFC. I know that's you're playing a little rough of a game there. But I think if you're the, the Texans and you look at total picture here, you don't worry about what the Dolphins do. You got to worry about what you do. And you have to undo a lot of the things that Bill O'Brien did to your franchise when he was out the door. So if I had to make a prediction, I think he's going to end up on the Dolphins. So I think they just have the most offer right now. Unless the Niners go all in and give them like their next four or five first rounders, then maybe I could see the Niners. But it's between those two teams for me. Yeah, I, I think Miami presents an interesting topic because I, I do feel like they have the most to offer. But it goes back to the evaluation on Tua. How good do you think Tua is? And if he's not rated highly – because I've heard today from Mike Florio that Tua wasn't even in the top four quarterbacks coming into this draft for a lot of teams. He said a third of the league didn't have Tua in their top ten. Um, or I'm sorry, their top four for quarterbacks. And, and then you take a look at the draft class that's coming in right now. I, I think a team, and, and we kind of mentioned them in the pre-show, Randy, that for the New York Jets. And you not know, tease the Jets fans here or anything, but I think when you take a look at the second overall pick, which has appeal, you know, obviously, I, and I'll, I'll get to another team in a slack chance. But we talk the Jets being able to swap those two first because they have two first round picks this year as well. They're probably going to yep. be picking high again next year. You know, even mm -hmm. with Watson, that roster needs a little bit of tweaking here and there. But they have salary cap money, too. The The Jets have some decent salary cap money. So then we start taking a look at guys. Maybe Allen Robinson is a possibility, but the Bears are probably going to franchise Allen Robinson. So that's what I'm hearing. The Bears will use the franchise tag on Allen Robinson if they can't come to a long-term deal. So Allen Robinson's probably not leaving Chicago this offseason. So then you start taking a look at other weapons that they can get. Um it, it, it's going to be Galladay. I mean, it, Will Fuller was one of his favorite targets. They could sign Will Fuller. I mean, there there are guys out there for available that that the Jets could sign if they were to make a move like this. Yeah. So I mean, really, it comes down to what is Deshaun Watson worth? And I think teams are going to get into a bidding war. I, I don't think it's going to be, you know, where you feel comfortable giving up. You're going to be uncomfortable when you see the final deal. When this is done. I think you're going to see three to four first round picks off the board for your team. I think you're going to see at least three second round picks off your team. And I, and I honestly think you're going to end up giving up an all pro caliber player too. And I think that's where the bidding is going to take it because the Niners, I know we're interested. I know the bears are interested. Yeah. And then you throw the jets in there. I think the jets going to get in there. So it's going to be a lot. So Deshaun's going to pick his destination. He wants out of Houston. So he's going to be leaving. It's just a matter of where he decides that he wants to go ultimately at that point. Yeah. 
get a good point in the comments, you know, unless Deshaun Watson wants to go to your team, it doesn't really matter how good of a package your team put together. Uh, whatever team he chooses, that's going to be the best package they can get is whatever uh, that team could put together for them. So uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, Deshaun, it all, it all appears that Deshaun is gone. I don't know if what the Texans could do at this point to salvage that relationship. Uh, maybe you're looking at hiring Eric Bieniemy, but I don't know if that's enough at this point. Uh, but I think the days for Deshaun Watson are over in Houston. Uh, all right, there are teams since the last time we spoke to you guys who have hired head coaches, and we're going to start with those New York Jets. They hired one of the most coveted uh, head coaches on the market, and his 49ers defensive coordinator, Robert Salah. Uh, and Matt, I think they have a home run hire on their hands here. I think this is a guy who can come in right away and change the culture right in day one. I love this hire. For, from the onset of when they decided to finally let go of Adam Gaze, this guy was barring on the best candidate for this job. Like you said, Randy, it goes back to culture, instilling that toughness, that discipline. Mm -hmm. And it makes so much of a difference when you have a guy that knows what the hell he is doing. Like when you just look at guys as coaches, you'd see cocaine Adams out there and you're like, what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> and, and then, you know, Salah, I, I love his philosophy, man. It's just about toughness you know, play the game the right way. The 49ers defense showed, you know, a, a lot of different things that I think would be best to break down in tape, honestly. You know, let the tape speak for itself. But yeah, my, my favorite thing, you watch a 49ers game and you see how much the players on the defensive side of the ball react to him and how fired up he gets on the sidelines. Like that tells me that he's the player's coach. Guys love to play for him. And not every coach is like that. Some other guys are more reserved. Some more guys are more X's and O's, more calculated. Not him. He's passionate. He's loud. He's outspoken. And that, I mean, I love that because the players respect that and they're, they respond well to that. So that's how you're going to change the culture is to get your players to buy in to what this coach is doing. And I think to even use the Giants as an example, I was skeptical of the Joe Judge hire, but it was clear that the players responded to him. And you could see a little shift in the culture for the Giants. It's not perfect, but at least it's something. It's better than what it was. And I think the Jets are going to start seeing some shifting with how well the players respond to the coach. And Robert Salah is going to be the guy who does that. Now, they hired an offensive coordinator also from the 49ers staff. His name escapes me, Matt. I don't know if you know. And with comments, you can help us out. Um, but, I mean, that's going to be just as big as this because Salah is not an offensive guy, but you're going to need an offensive guy in there, whether it's Darnold or a new QB, to establish something on that side of the ball because the defense already has potential, but the offense needs some serious work. Yeah, from, from everything that I've heard, especially from Adam Schefter, Darnold is going to be back with the Jets next year. So, you know, they're, they're counting on Darnold to stay with them. Um, I, I think the big thing is their offensive coordinator, um, Mike LaFleur, I believe. I'm not sure if it's Yes, Mike. that's right. Yeah. Okay. You, it, it's a concepts because his brother is Matt LaFleur over in Green yeah. Bay. And you see mm -hmm. Green Bay kind of runs similar type of schemes, a lot of zone blocking schemes, um, letting their running back choose the hole that he's going to hit within that zone. I think the Jets are going to be able to you know, use that offense as well. And I think it's going to reap a lot of benefits to Sam because here's the thing about quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks as they develop. Sometimes the game moves so fast. When you're able to roll out the quarterback, it kind of lets him take a deep breath. It takes away that thinking aspect of having to read the defense. So I imagine a lot of flood zone concepts where they're going to have a lot of guys to the side of the field that, you know, they'll have the quarterback rolling out to, giving him options to throw the football to. They're going to cut the field in half for Sam. 
I think Gase did and really hamstrung Darnold in a lot of ways. Coaching matters in the NFL was a lot of the concepts were just, all right, Sam, I'm going to spread the field and you have to read the entire defense. And with a porous offensive line and wide receivers that weren't very good, you're setting Sam up for failure at that point. You know, let him get some easy completions first, his confidence. But Gase... Gase is probably better suited for mature quarterbacks, more pro-style, ready quarterbacks that have been in the league for a little while. Giving Adam Gase a young quarterback is suicide. I I think we've seen it now that Adam Gase should never be a head coach again. And maybe on a good team, he could be an offensive coordinator where the head coach basically runs the offense. But but don't give this man a key, the keys to a young quarterback ever again because it's going to end up a lot like Sam. Well, unfortunately for my love for Russell Wilson, he might be the victim of Adam Gase coming out because he's being considered for the Seahawks offensive coordinator position. Uh, that sucks. Uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, I liked the the Mike LaFleur hire because, like you said, so many things that just need to be done simply when you have a young quarterback and there's two complex of things that Sam wasn't ready for. And I'm not making excuses for him because he did a lot of that to himself too, but you got to help put your young quarterback in a position to succeed. Now we're going to talk about the Jets and their drafts um, in the offseason coming up here on the Audible. But um, they have so many ways they can go with that number two pick. Uh, they could go Demonte Smith uh, was a, for a wide receiver weapon. They could go, uh, I think his name is Perry Sewell, uh, the offensive tackle for the, from Oregon, to pair with Becton and just create an absolute monster of an offensive line. I mean, they could trade the pick. There's so many different routes they could go there but I think they need to commit to the offensive side because I think the defense uh, already has some potential and defense is Salah's uh, specialty so I think he could already build off of that that already exists so all right uh next on the list we have where did I have next oh yes Arthur Smith has been hired by the Atlanta Falcons he's been the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans for the last two years and been with the organization for the last 12 uh Matt you're a little bit more fond of this hire than I am uh I would have just preferred if you're going to hire an offensive mind to go be enemy here, but Hey, Smith turned uh, the, the Titans into a top five rushing offense, top five total offense the last two years. Uh, Ryan Tannehill has been a top 10 quarterback each of the last two seasons. Uh, the proof's in the pudding when it comes to that. And I have a feeling the Falcons are going to try to adapt that identity somehow that the Titans have had in the last two years. Um, I don't know. Arthur Smith, you sold on the guy kind of looks like Nicholas cage a little bit. What do you think? <laughs> well, I think, <laughs> I mean, if the Bears would have, would have fired Matt Nagy, I would have wanted Arthur Smith in the building. I, I think he gets it football-wise. I, I think you take a look at Mike Vrabel and what he wants to do. You know, football, he, here's my issue with guys like Matt Nagy in general. And, and I know I, I circle back to the Bears, but it also applies to Adam Gaze. Sometimes you make it so complicated that you choke the life out of everyone. Like, th- there's so many details to remember Sometimes just simplifying things makes life easier on everyone. Tennessee doesn't run a complicated scheme. It's not some, you know, well, at the three and a half steps of the wide receiver on the out, you have to throw the ball to the opposite hash mark within 17 and a half to 18 yards. I mean, I I know that's a little ridiculous, but, you know, that's what Andy Reid's offense really predicates itself on. It's all timing and being so precise. If you can run it, it's super effective. But there's not many teams if outside of maybe one that can do that. So now we take a look at Arthur Smith, who just runs, I'm going to shove it down your throat, run play action. You're going to have to put guys in the box. 
and we're going to put big body wide receivers there with a little bit of speed. Good luck stopping us. And Tennessee's had a lot of success with that. Now, their defense really is their defense this year that really fell apart. Their offense didn't have too many issues. So I, I think at the end of the day, when you see Arthur Smith going to <coughs> Atlanta, what are they going to do? Uh, are they going to draft the left tackle out of Oregon? Um, are they going to draft a quarterback? What do they do with Matt Ryan? Everything that I've heard, Julio Jones will not be a Atlanta Falcon next year. So that, that's another wow. person that's going to be on the market. Yeah, so n- now we're looking at how you can break this down. But Arthur Smith is a good guy to break down an offense and rebuild it up just by easy concepts and fundamental <laughs> running game. Yeah, I I mean, the Falcons running game has been pretty bad <laughs> with uh, – <laughs> Uh, with Todd Gurley last year, I mean, he's washed. I mean, he's out of the league at this point. Unfortunately, his knees didn't hold up uh, for him in the NFL. I mean, he had a good run with the Rams and everything, but not, not too great with the Falcons. Don't be surprised if they try to find one of these to, uh, running backs in the second or third round. I'm looking at Travis Etienne, uh, the kid from Ohio State, uh, I believe it's Serby. Um, and, I mean, there are – there. Are, I mean, I don't think uh, the kid from Alabama is going to be there, but – Regardless, they're going to try to find a guy in the mid rounds to. Uh, I mean, no one's Derrick Henry. No, no one, no one's as big and as fast and as electric as he is. But they're going to try to uh, emulate that for sure in Atlanta. So, uh, look, he had success. I mean, the Titans' offense has been pretty damn good the last couple of years. So uh, I understand it. But uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't love the hire. Uh, I'm sure people have heard it, but I just want to point out for you, Matt, that one note. Uh, Arthur Smith's dad uh, is now the richest man in the building, uh, more so than Arthur Blank, the owner of the Atlanta Falcons. He uh, Blank is worth $5.3 billion. Arthur Smith's father owns FedEx, <laughs> created FedEx, and is worth $5.4 billion. So not even the richest Arthur in the building anymore is Arthur Blank. So uh, <laughs> if things go wrong, maybe his dad will buy the team. Who knows? All right, uh, moving on to the most puzzling hire of them all for me, and it's not official yet, but it is kind of official. But the Detroit Lions are hiring uh, the Saints tight end slash assistant head coach Dan Campbell. And the most memorable thing about Dan Campbell to me was when he was the interim coach for the uh, the Dolphins a couple years ago, and everyone just commented on his muscles all the time. I don't know if you remember that. But, uh, look, I guess this is a, a, a culture move, I suppose. The Saints have been one of the more stable organizations in the last five years. But, uh, again, not the move I would have made. What do you make of this move for the Lions? Uh, honestly, it's probably one of those hires that uh, will fly under the radar, but it's probably a pretty solid hire for a team that really needs to rebuild culture. You know, we talk about the job to rebuild their culture with Salah. Uh, the Falcons, it's not a bad culture in Atlanta. Probably a lot of, you know, history there with Atlanta that you want to erase. And then they take a look at Detroit. I mean, it's been a dumpster fire. They should have never fired Jim Caldwell. It was the biggest mistake that organization ever made. And then you brought in a fraud, a phony, a piece of shit person in all respects. <laughs> I mean, Matt Patricia is probably one of the worst human beings you'll come across in life. So... Now you kind of have to start over again with Dan Campbell resetting the culture, getting a guy in there. Um, It's a lot to ask out of the Lions to just get back to normal. I mean, you think of 
the talent that they wasted, uh, you know, Matthew Stafford, Calvin Johnson. I mean, even now with some of the players they have, um, Ziggy Anza was wasted there for a while until he finally left. But Darius Slay got traded to the, you know, Eagles. And Dominican Sue. I mean, Kenny Galladay seems to be one of those guys. Uh, I mean, uh, Eric Ebron, they drafted 10th overall. There's been so many guys for the Lions. The list goes on and on. We don't need to ruin Leon's day like that, though. <laughs> yeah, no. But, you know, it, it just goes to show. I mean, Matthew Stafford's probably leaving one way or the other. I, I don't think he plays in Detroit next year. He, he should, but, you know, you can't keep on doing these dumb mistakes. And that's why ownership also matters in the NFL. Having stable, reliable ownership, making solid football decisions is so important so you don't end up like a lot of these teams, Jacksonville, and we'll we'll get on Jacksonville too. But, yeah, I mean, there's got to be stability. Yeah, I don't know what to make of it, to be honest with you. I don't know what really can be said. I know he was assistant head coach for the Saints, but we all know Sean Payton is the end-all, be-all when it comes to coaching there. Uh, the tight ends coach, look, at uh, Jared Cook had a decent year, a decent couple of years for them, but uh, ultimately cost them the game. We'll talk about that game in a little bit with a fumble. But uh, maybe Dan Campbell won him over with his interview. I don't know. But uh, as of now, I, I don't really know what else to say other than uh, I don't love it. It's not my favorite hire ever, and I guess we'll see what happens, but I don't know really know what to make of it all right next hire on the list for us is the chargers which it looked like brian dable was going to get this job but then the bills advanced to the afc championship game and now they are moving to hire chargers defensive coordinator brandon staley who is highly coveted uh look uh, uh, i'm apparently one of the best coordinators in all of the sport um choosing the team that they share a building with <laughs> i mean it helps when you have aaron donald and um Jalen Ramsey, but this guy is highly regarded as one of the best coordinators and one of the best defensive coordinators. So I guess good move for the Chargers. I mean, Brandon Staley's from the Vic Fangio tree. Um, Vic had him in Chicago, and Brandon Staley knows his shit, man. He's a smart cat that understands defensive football. To me, I I get it, but – Justin Herbert is so good at such a young age. G- getting him with another offensive mind, I thought it would er- it'd be Eric by enemy here because it just made so much sense um, with the Andy Reid tree and their success with quarterbacks and offenses in general. But it turned out to be Brandon Staley, and I- I'm not going to get into too much arguments here or there about Brandon Staley's qualifications because he may be the most qualified person, uh, you know, under besides Sala that got hired out of these coaches. So I like Brandon Staley. I respect everything that he's done in Los Angeles and he gets to stay in Los Angeles. So that's a perk for him. And, you know, the chargers are going to have Bosa Ingram, Derwin James back. So they're going to have talent and they're going to have, what are they picking 13th ish? Um, I can't remember. What uh, no, it would be later than that because, they made the playoffs, so it would be in the 20s. The Chargers didn't. No, the Chargers. I'm sorry, the Ram, I'm getting them and the Rams mixed up. Yeah, the Chargers are picking in the teens somewhere. Yeah, so um, he, he might be able to pick his middle linebacker that he wants. I mean, I, yeah. I imagine it's going to be an Alabama guy since they <laughs> always seem to get picked right there. So they're in good shape. The, the Chargers are in really good shape. I, I wish it had been by enemy here, but it's Brandon Staley, also a good hire. So kudos to the Chargers for getting a good coach here. 
Yeah, young guy, 38 years old. Uh, he had the number one defense in 2020, which is, like I said, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey helped that. But uh, you get Leonard Floyd, you get Morgan Fox, Troy Reader, Michael Brockers with production too. I mean, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, I I don't know what to make of it. I think the offense and the Chargers would have been the way I went. Like I like I've been I've been trying to get Eric Bieniemy a job here for the last two years, but. Like you mentioned, the defensive roster is pretty stacked for the Chargers, so expect them to take a big leap on that side of the ball. You get a Bosa, you got Melvin Ingram. Uh, yeah, you got um, yeah, Melvin Ingram. I mean, this is uh, a stacked defensive roster, so don't be surprised if you see the Chargers amongst the, in the top of the defensive rankings next year. Uh, all right, and moving on. To finally, <sighs> Matt, I don't really know, man. Urban Meyer. To the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, never been a coach in the NFL, won two national championships with the University of Florida, one with the uh, Ohio State University, and now the Jags are getting their man. He's going to get the number one overall pick. He's going to get Trevor Lawrence, uh, and he get a ton- gets a ton of money to do so. I just don't know how well of an NFL head coach he's going to be, and I guess we won't know until we see the product, but uh, the, the Jags were all in on Urban Meyer, and they got him. When they hired Urban Meyer, Randy, I, I immediately – my mind went to maybe Trevor Lawrence isn't the slam dunk number one overall pick. I Thanks. There's so many issues with this. Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, said that, you know, he's not going to step aside from making personnel decisions. Like, it's not working in Dallas. Why the hell would you even want to do this? Because everyone's going to question you unnecessarily – the blame is going to go right to you. you. You know, I'm sorry, but there's too many good football people out there that that understand not only the pro game, but the college game. Evaluating talent is a fucking skill. And I get you're a billionaire. You're not a billionaire by accident, but you're also not a football guy like that. Like people, there are qualified candidates out there, men and women that have spent their entire lives in the game of football whether it was evaluating tape, scouting, coaching, all these levels. And then you bring in Urban Meyer. And to me, this was all name recognition. It was nothing about football. It was about getting people into the stands and excited about your product. You know what gets fans excited and into your product? Winning. Winning. Now you get Urban Meyer. This couldn't have worked out better for the Jets because somehow – I got a feeling that they are going to fuck this up, Randy. They are going to screw up this draft. And I I wouldn't be surprised right now. Trevor Lawrence is not a slam dunk at number one. And that's all I'm going to say. I don't know who they would go with, but Trevor Lawrence is not a slam dunk at number one right now. I mean, that would be a big mistake. Uh, I haven't seen anything that would change their mindset as far as the number one pick, but uh, he's an Ohio State guy. Uh, maybe he recruited Justin Fields. I don't really know the details on that, but I, I guess that would be the route he would go if it wasn't Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I don't love the way Fields necessarily play in the college football playoff. You can't judge a quarterback's full body of work on that, but uh, I would just – I think that would be a big mistake not going Lawrence, but it would be great for the Jets if they somehow – we're able to win those final few games and still end up with this guy that everyone considers to be the man. So, uh, yeah, the Jags, the urban era, I kept seeing that all over the place, uh, the urban era down there in Jacksonville. And uh, also urban is all elite because Khan owns all elite wrestling. <laughs> and he's more of a wrestling guy than a football guy. But, hey, Jacksonville's been a bad organization, and they probably will continue to be. All right. 
That's enough news, coaching, talking, all that stuff. Those are all done by bad teams, right? We want to talk about some good teams. And the good teams make playoffs. Good teams make run, runs in the playoffs. And good teams play in deep into the playoffs. So we're going to do a quick divisional round recap here, Matt. Uh, emphasis on the quick, but I don't really know how quick we're truly going to go here because we're not ones to uh, just skip out on saying what we feel. Uh, we're going to start off. We're just going to go in order here on Saturday afternoon. The Packers Beat up on the Rams 32-18. to Game was closer uh, than I think a lot of people realized. But the cold and there was fans at Lambeau. It was actually pretty awesome. I love the, this, the, 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 the what Lambeau looks like in January for playoff football. Just looks like what it's supposed to look like. It made life feel normal for a little bit. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams did their thing. I mean, the Packers just look the part, man. They just look like the number one seed in the NFC. A team poised to make the Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't know what really stops them at this point. They're so good offensively right now that even they get into scoring position at will. I mean, that's really what happens. And if if they had another wide receiver to pair with Adams, it'd be game over. If Bakhtiari was healthy, I wouldn't even question next week. But the Packers dominate line of scrimmage. Aaron Donald couldn't get to Aaron Rodgers. I mean, A.A. run for the Packers <laughs> was better than A.A. run versus the Rams. Uh, <laughs> it is what it is. The Packers are so precise offensively. It's like watching a surgical a surgeon perform surgery at the best hospital in the world. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers is like pew, 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 pew. And it, it just looks so graceful and so pretty. And, and I know we'll get to Mahomes in a while, too, and, you know, some other quarterbacks. But other quarterbacks make it look so physically taxing. And Aaron Rodgers just makes it look so effortless. And it's just amazing to watch him. And, and I know people hate him. And I know people have said that Aaron Rodgers is overrated. But just watch the Rams tape. Just yeah. watch it. He didn't give that defensive line a chance to sack him. And that's what makes him so different. I mean, just look at the way he throws the ball. I mean, the snap motion of which he throws and how accurate he is. I mean, it's just one quick snap, and it's just the ball is right where it needs to be, it feels like, every single time. It is unlike any other quarterback I've ever seen throw the ball. It's so quick. It's so accurate. It's so just pristine. Uh, Rodgers on the day, 23-36, 296 yards, two touchdowns, adding a rushing touchdown, a pump fake, uh, and then he rushed in the end zone. It was a beautiful play. The play to me – that said this that just made me think this game was over was in the first quarter Matt LaFleur dials up a play for Devontae Adams he goes in motion to the left side comes back to the right side gets Ramsey caught up in the linebackers hikes the ball just creates just enough space at the four yard line to get Adams in the end zone Rodgers quick snap throw to Adams touchdown and Ramsey's just pissed off at the world at the safety for not covering him on that and that to me was just like that is a great play design that is knowing that he's getting shadowed by the best corner in the league and you're creating space to get Rodgers and Adams into a groove. And he did that. Uh, and then the Lazard play in the fourth quarter, uh, he had a 58-yard touchdown that basically sealed it at the end. So not much to say. I mean, the, I mean, the, I think the Packers looked all every bit of the part of a one seed you wanted to look like. Uh, they had the success running the ball. I think Aaron Donald's injury – you know, really screwed, uh, kind of screwed up the Rams here. I don't think he was the same guy. I know he got double teamed a bunch, but I, th I think that he was he was crying after the game. I think the ribs were affecting him more than they wanted to let on because he's Aaron Donald. He's superhuman. Like, he can't get hurt. But ultimately, he can get hurt, and I think he was. But uh, I don't know if Aaron Donald changes the outcome of this game, but I think it might be a little closer. What do you think? 
I don't, I don't think so, just because of how well the Packers scheme and how quickly yeah. Aaron Rodgers dissects a defense. Like it, The one thing, if you ever noticed about the Packers, well, two things. One, they run a shitload of plays. Yeah. They will run anywhere between 60 and 80 plays a game on average, which is astounding when you look at some of the worst <laughs> offensive teams that usually only run between 40 and 50. And then you take a look at how quickly Rodgers gets rid of the ball. It's damn near impossible to get to him most of the time. Yeah, And that was standing. I just don't think Aaron Donald would have a shot. And you're talking about a, a superhuman, really, with Aaron Donald. And with bad ribs, you can't get air. It's cold. You're sucking gas at this point because Aaron Rodgers is just dinking and dunking and slicing you up like a turkey on Thanksgiving. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just can't catch your breath. It, it's hard. And yep. I, I challenge anyone to go play on an NFL football field with either broken or bruised ribs against these guys. You're constantly getting hit in the ribs every single freaking play. When you play on the interior offensive line, you're getting kicked in the nuts. You're getting blasted <laughs> in the ribs. I mean, stuff that goes on in the trenches is dirty and nasty. And you know what? I, I, I tip my hat to Aaron Donald, but I don't think it would have made a difference in the outcome. Yeah, look, I mean, the Packers had uh, 480 plus yards of total offense in this game. So, I mean, you would have had to been <laughs> superhuman to change any of that, I think. I mean, they almost dropping 500 yards on the Rams defense, which the Rams defense is damn good. Uh, it says a lot about the Packers there. And I, I just I can't help but to think that we're going to see a Green Bay Super Bowl this year. Uh, all right. Moving on to the uh, Saturday night game, we saw the Buffalo Bills. Uh, went 17-3 to over the Baltimore Ravens, and Lamar Jackson left this game in the second half with a concussion after a 101-yard pick six. Uh, let me get the guy's name because I don't remember it totally. Uh, Teron Williams uh, picked the Lamar Jackson off in the red zone. The Ravens looked like they were about to score and tie the game 10-10. Uh, he picks him off in the end zone and returns it 100 yards, and that was the game. I mean, that shifted every single thing at that point. The Ravens' defense uh, shut down Josh Allen. They shut down the Bills' offense completely, uh, and it was just Lamar's passing struggles continued to haunt Baltimore, and ultimately um, the Bills benefited from that, and that play pretty much shipped the Bills into the Final Four. I, I just can't get over how bad Lamar Jackson is under pressure. I mean, I, I, I get some teams are blitz beaters. Some teams are able to do different things against the blitz. But anytime there's pressure on Lamar Jackson, he struggles every single play. And we saw the Bills just completely expose themselves. They left zones wide open because they were like, we don't think you can beat us throwing the ball. We're going to blitz the house on you. And that's what they did. I mean, this game wasn't complicated. The Ravens' defense was spectacular, spectacular in this game. Had Josh Allen in check, didn't let Stephon Diggs go off. If you would have told me the Ravens' defense would only give up 10 points, I would have said they would have won this game. But the Ravens' offense disappointed. Look, I mean, the, the Ravens only gave up 222 total yards of offense, uh, and the Ravens had a, a more than 100 yards more than that. I mean, total. I, I, the Ravens dominated this game um, from a moving the ball standpoint, but in the red zone is where it killed them. Justin Tucker, who is the best kicker in the NFL, missed two field goals doinked on each upright, uh, which totally cost him six points. And then that interception in the red zone 
Look, that is 16 points right there. That is the difference in the ball game, and you got to find ways to score points in those instances. And we talked about how this is a bad matchup for the Bills with how well how well other teams rush against them. But the Ravens don't offer that passing threat at all. I mean, even the Colts with Phil Rivers offered at least some sort of passing threat that the Ravens did not. So the Bills were able to stack the box, send pressure, limit Lamar Jackson's rushing ability, and you saw you know how uncomfortable Lamar was back there. It was cold. It was kind of snowy. I mean, Western New York is not the great place to play in January so that was to the Bills advantage as well look I I think for the most part Buffalo caught a ton of breaks here and I think they got pretty lucky but I'm not gonna you know crap on them for coming up with a game plan seeing the limitations of the Ravens and exploiting them because ultimately that's on Baltimore that's on Lamar Jackson for not improving as a passer uh do I think Buffalo has been perfect this postseason no I actually don't like a lot of things I've seen from the Bills but they have done enough to put themselves in a position to to be in the NFC championship for the first time in 25 26 years so Look, that 101-yard touchdown, uh, that 101-yard pick six is going to go down in Bills history as one of the most important plays in franchise history, especially if they make the Super Bowl. That's going to be played on a loop in Buffalo for 100 years. I mean, I promise you, they are going to love that play forever. And it was insane. And Bills Mafia showed up, 6,700 of them, sounded like 60,000. And every Bills fan said that. And that's impressive. Good for them. I'm so happy for Bills fans. I know a lot of great Bills fans. But I just don't love what I've seen from the Bills. I think they got incredibly lucky in this game, and I just I don't really know what else to say. I think they've caught more breaks than any team so far, so far uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and and like we said, this game isn't that complicated. And I agree with Leon in the comment section where he said Baltimore needs a true number one wide receiver. They do. I mean, I don't I don't think anyone would argue that. But but Lamar's got to be able to read that blitz. The, the number one blitz is throw it where they're coming from. Put the ball where the blitz is coming from. It's going to be open, and they couldn't do that. So I, I don't know. It's tough. I, I think Lamar will get a number one wide receiver eventually, either in the draft or in free agency this offseason. But he's got to be able to understand the call the hot route, hit it in that spot. If yeah. not, we're going to be the same thing. Yeah, and if there's any doubt on who the Bills MVP was this season, Matt, uh, it is Stephon Diggs, who had eight catches for 106 yards and a touchdown in this game. The guy has just been incredible all season long, uh, and it continues for Stephon Diggs. And uh, I think it, you, he's, that? Making, he's making you eat your words every <laughs> I week. ate him, man. I ate the crow. I, I, I accept defeat on that take, man. He proved me wrong from week four. Uh, he's been incredible. Uh, I, I, there's no doubting that anymore. All right, moving on to Sunday, and I think it's time we welcome in our guest because it is Browns time. Corey Richmond, uh, our resident Browns fan, host of the Work to Shoot podcast over in Wrestling Life. Corey, uh, look, I know that it has been probably a rough couple days getting over the Browns' uh, season-ending 22-17 to loss over the Kansas City Chiefs, but uh, I guess before I ask how you're doing, uh, i got to say, uh, you got to be proud to be a Browns fan in 2020, I think. Uh, absolutely. Wait, did we play this Sunday? I thought the game <laughs> was happening next Sunday. Right here, I mean, I know all over social media I put up, you know, helmet to helmet. Yeah. I mean – that didn't cost us the game. I mean, I definitely thought it was a penalty. You know, do I love the touchback rule? Didn't love it before that ga- before the game. I don't love the rule now still. I mean, was the right call? Yes. Was the helmet to helmet? Should that have been a penalty? Absolutely. Was there a similar penalty in the uh, 
The game that followed, absolutely. Um, that wasn't the question you asked me, but, you know, might have a little <laughs> some uh, emotion as a result of that game. Um, was it a great season? Absolutely. Do we have unfinished business now? Are we on paper, you know, either the first or second best team in the division coming in next year? True. Mm -hmm. Like any great fan of a team, it's going to take a couple of days, a couple of years to get over the loss. But, I mean, it's a great year. You know, we've got a great coach. We've got – it looks like management that actually for the first time in years has an idea of what they're doing. I've got faith in Barry. I've got faith in Stefanski. Haslam, unlike, you know, Cher Khan over there, it's, you know, seems like for the first time in his life, is staying out of business for a while. I mean, mm -hmm. there's good things there. We're going to see if uh, OBJ coming back and, you know, be – as much of a team player when he's hurt as when he's healthy. I mean, you got safeties coming back who didn't play all year, and Grady Williams, and Delphet. I mean, so I mean, there, there's good signs. I don't know if they resign Vernon. So I mean, I'm, I know I'm rambling on, but I mean, it's a great year. First playoff, you know, winning forever. First road playoff, winning forever. First winning season in forever. So I mean, there's a lot of good things to look at here. Yeah, total stepping stone season for the Browns. If I'm a Browns fan, you know, you've been dealt with so much crap in the last 20 years that how can you be mad about this season? I know the loss hurts. I know the way it happened hurts. Uh, and we'll, We can get into the game. But let's talk about that rule for a second, Matt. Me and you were pretty adamant that the rule makes sense. Um, pretty much, if you don't know what happened, uh, Higgins, Rashard Higgins for the Browns, catches the ball, runs at the two-yard line, extends the football. And before he crosses the plane, the ball was jarred, and he fumbled it, and it went – into the end zone and then out of the end zone. This is a very rare instance that this happens. This does not happen very often. I understand that it's probably not a perfect rule, but it, this is where my argument comes in. Uh, when any time a team is driving, if you look at it, they are in the defense's team's territory. That end zone is the defense's end zone. They are defending that territory. If you do not get into that end zone with the football, crossing the plane with possession, and then you fumble it into the end zone and it goes out of the end zone and no one recovers it, that is the defense's ball because they own that territory. That's my argument for that. Matt, you made a similar, you made an argument that there's less ground in general to recover the football. So the, the, all the rules are basically catered towards the offense anyway. So why not give the defense one here? Yeah, the, the offense has 99 yards to play with here. 99 yards were a fumble, and it can go out of bounds. It can do a lot of different things. The offense typically has 11 plus one to recover the football you know, going the 99 yards. The end zone is such a smaller territory, less chance for the defense to recover it. So I kind of agree with you. That is the defense's territory. that They are defending that. So you, you give the defense a break. My issue with it is this. If you don't give the ball to the defense, what do you do to the offense? Do you spot it at the one? That doesn't seem very fair to me. You lost possession of the football. The defense never had a chance to recover it. Do you put them back at the 20? So what? Is it like a 15 or I'm sorry, is it a 19-yard penalty then where, you know what, this guy fumbled. It's second and goal from the 20. I, I just don't think there's a reasonable – spot here where you can change the rule is it a perfect rule no but i'll contest there's a there's a lot of unperfect rules in football referees every game trying to decipher what it catches is different per referee and crew and yeah. you know deciding a football move do does every referee determine what a football move is um some people mentioned you know you should be able to challenge these things well we what challenging rules would be 
um, with the defensive, well, with the pass interference. Not one of them got overturned. So right. to me, it's just like we, we know what the rule is. Unfortunately, it bit the Browns. Has it happened to the Chicago Bears? It has. I've witnessed it on quite a few occasions. And Bears actually making it down to that end zone is a feat in itself. If you've been a bear fan as long as I have. So we would like to be rewarded for that. It happen all the time. So, I mean, to me, I, I give the Browns a ton of credit. The, the defense looked good for a large portion of the game. The Chiefs early on were hitting on every cylinder. I mean, they yeah. just were picking things apart. I thought when Mahomes got knocked out, that was it. I, I thought the Browns would have won that game just because of the mistakes, the Chad Henney interception. It, it's not only one of the dumbest throws I've ever seen in my life. It, it's just, why even give him that option to throw that football down there? But I digress. Yeah, uh, Corey, I'd be willing to bet, uh, you know, it's kind of fancy's going to win coach of the year this year, and I'm willing to bet you won't see a Browns player reach for the end zone like that uh, again unless it's fourth down or a two-point conversion because, like Belichick and other coaches, they, they teach their guys, you know, don't do that. You know, live to play another down. Uh, you got the ball at the two-yard line. It should be first and goal from the two. Uh, I'd be willing to bet that Stefanski's going to put that in their his players' minds going forward. Oh, no, absolutely. And, and uh Stefanski said, you know, he tells them not to do that, but, you know, he uh, also at the same point said that he encourages the hustle that, you know, Higgins had there to try to do everything he could in a pivotal game. But let me ask you guys, and I don't know how many times, like I said, I don't know for how many people know, I work for I work for CBS television. So after mm-hmm. the game was over, I had multiple angles of watching that uh, that play and maybe make myself miserable for, you know, a couple hours after the game. <laughs> and when I say maybe, the, the answer is absolutely yeah. But was that a, should that been a was that a helmet to helmet uh, should that been a penalty there? Yeah, and honestly, I, if I'm a if I'm a Browns fan, I'm more angry about that because I do think it was helmet to helmet. I don't think it was targeting because I think when the guy is reaching for the end zone, you're trying to stop that play all all together. I think you're just trying to make something happen. But leading with your head is something you could have prevented. Helmet to helmet, absolutely, that should have been called. Uh, but targeting, I don't think uh, that that's nonsense. I think a lot of times targeting, you're trying to tackle a guy. I think almost every tackle is targeting when you break it down. Uh, but helmet to helmet, yeah. Like I said, we should make stops. Yeah. I give Henry a lot of credit on that last drive, especially the fact that it was gutsy as all hell. And I I would have punted the ball or, you know, done a quarterback sneak or try to get him offside. What he did on that last play of the game took more guts and guile than, you know, most most players in the league will ever have, especially being a backup for all those years. And I say this openly, and I'm I'm not from, from Cleveland. And up to this point in my life, I've never been to Cleveland. But it's funny. A Michigan quarterback is the guy who beat Ohio's, mm. you know, Ohio team. That is, you know, one of the funniest things you're thinking about after the game. But, you know, like I said, and like you guys said, it was a great year for the Browns. There's good things to look forward. But, you know, what? one of the things that's going to be look, looked uh, – not looked at this game as much, what happens if Mahone doesn't get hurt? Is this game even as close in the second half? You know, Mahomes has a history of, you know, blowing teams out once he's got that foot on the gas. You know what I mean? The defense was playing better, but Miles Garrett had uh, was out for a good portion of the fourth quarter with, you know – with cramps or, you know, whatever, a hamstring thing, which was going on. So, I mean, the best defensive player was out of the game. You have a bad secondary to begin with. I mean, so if Mahomes doesn't get hurt, and I don't – and I know that everyone's mother is going to be the most protective of them in the world, and I think – I don't think Mac did anything that was super bad that, you know, Mahomes' mom is saying, you know, he's a dirty player, which is, which is not true. You know, yeah. if Mahomes doesn't get hurt, I don't think, you know, 
like I said, I want to say as a fan that we still have a chance of winning the game. But I don't think, you know, maybe we still cover the spread of 10 points, which I thought was ridiculous in the first place. But I don't yeah. think we come back and win, you know. Yeah, Matt, what do you think? Uh, that helmet's a helmet there in the end uh, in the end zone? And what do you make of that Homa-Holmes play? So uh, I'm going to say three things here, and it could be done pretty easily here. One, was it helmet to helmet? Yes. In the spirit of the rule, it, it was helmet to helmet. Whether it's a bang-bang play, an incidental, it doesn't matter. I think that is something the NFL can go back to, and this can easily be done. You should be able to review helmet to helmet contact. Um, it, there's not a whole lot of black and sorry, color there. It, it's pretty much black and white, not a lot of gray. You can see it. It's just there. A guy makes contact with a guy's head, you know, leading with the crown of his helmet. That's a 15-yard penalty. Let them review that, you know. Let them be able to throw the flag for that. I think that's totally doable. I mean, I know some people get sick of my Mahomes love, and but it's well-found. Mahomes doesn't get hurt. This is a two- to three-touchdown game. Garrett was getting gassed, you know, and Garrett's their best player. And, you know, when defenses get tired, you're on the field for a long time. Tyreek's, Tyreek Hill's speed, Travis Kelsey picking you apart in the middle. Chad Henney just doesn't see the game the same way Patrick Mahomes sees the game. Chad Henney doesn't have the arm. I mean, the, the touch, the accuracy, all of it. Mahomes would have, you know, I'll pick that secondary apart in the end of the at, in the second half, and once those Chiefs smell blood in the water, it's tough to come back from that. So it, it wouldn't have been as close as it ended up, but man, I, I tip my, my cap to the Browns. The season, a hard fought game. They deserve every accolade. I, I was thoroughly impressed with that defense, fighting through all the adversity. Nick Chubb is a fucking man. I mean, that dude, he was carrying Chiefs. Defenders five, six yards after contact, sometimes still shaking them loose for 15 yards. I mean, it was impressive. I, I'm I not think he hurt him a little bit with some drops too, though. I think Nick Chubb didn't have his best game in this game. Yeah, I'm not oh, sure no, if I would I use Chubb. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I would use Chubb as a receiving back to begin with. I mean, why not yeah. use a split back set with Chubb and Kareem Hunt? Kareem Hunt has better yeah. hands. I mean, but – Besides all that, I'm still a little sure about Baker Mayfield. He's definitely earned to be, you know, the starter next year. The fifth-year option gets very interesting with Baker Mayfield. Uh, I think you have to pick it up now and, you know, to see, see where it falls. Look, I don't think this game is on Baker. I actually look back at this game and think Baker played pretty well. Uh, I know the numbers aren't kind to him, but I actually think he should, came to play and he played. Like I think Nick Chubb killed him with a couple drops. I think this game, and I'm I'm unapologetic, unapologetically an Odell Beckham Jr. supporter. I think this game he missed OBJ big time on the offense. Some guy who can get separation, a guy who can stretch the defense, open up things for the the tight ends, and maybe Jarvis Landry. I can't wait to see the Browns with Odell next year. Everyone shits on Odell. Everyone said the Browns clicked after Odell got hurt. I think that's coincidence. I think the Browns are going to be so much better next year with number 13 out there making plays for them with Baker Mayfield. And I think Baker and Odell are determined to make it work. I think part of the bit was pressure, trying to force him the ball. I don't think Odell is that kind of guy per se. I know that's the narrative around him. But, Corey, I want to get your thoughts. Baker in this game, Baker going forward as a Browns fan, uh, how excited or you know, maybe just what are your expectations for Baker Mayfield? I'm, you know what, Baker, I've always said, is a guy that 
Less is more. He's shown up big in a lot of games in the first half. He had a couple of good drives and in, in later in games in the second half, which were really showed a lot. I mean, that Tennessee game where he had the four touchdowns in the first half was great. And then all of a sudden the offense decided to go and forget how to play football. Conservative, like you see with a thousand other times, with just not the Jets. Not, just, not the Jets, sorry. Uh, not just the Browns, but a lot of other teams when they have big leads, you forget how to play football. And it's just, you know, prevent defense and conservative conservative play. But I was impressed by Baker's um, maturity this year. He actually went and decided that football was more important. Uh, I do enjoy the fact that he put this team on his back. I do think this is a running first team. I do think this deep, this team needs to go improve on, on the defense more than it does on the offense. Odell coming back, I think, could only help. I mean, I do think that he's got to figure out that this team is a running team first. And like I said before, yeah. the idea of him being rah-rah and on social media going and saying how he supports this team, its yeah. he's one of those guys that it's going to be really interesting to see. And I think you'll both agree with me that it's one of those statements when you're on the field, what you do on the field compared to what you say when you're sitting there hurt and you're just dying to play. You know, when you're dying to play, you're like, this, that, you know, like what you guys are doing out there is great. You want to be part of the team when you're out there and it's all of a sudden the New York Giant version, which, you know, uh, Randy, you've seen with him, you know, making love to a goalpost and proposing and all the, the, the BS stuff that he did, which drove, you know, Giants fans crazy besides the one-handed catches. But he hasn't done that with the Browns. He has yet to do anything like that with Cleveland. Yes. You know why he hasn't had to do that? Because he wasn't healthy enough to do that. The whole and like I said, I like Odell. The times I, I saw him live against the Giants and the Jets, you know, and he played there. And I was impressed by what I saw. But you know what? You got to see what he does when he's healthy and if he can be a team guy. Because in spurts, he looked like Odell the first, you know, two years of the league when he had that game against the uh, the Cowboys where he looked like an all-world yeah. type of player. But can he do that when he's a member of a team, not just a me attitude, which I'm going to find fascinating because I yeah. also think they have to re-sign Rashad, Rashad Higgins because – Shot Higgins is a key part of this offense. One of the things that you saw last year, and you can say it's pure confidence from the coaching staff, but Shot Higgins has a great reputation of being a team guy with Baker, and he was just forgotten about last year. And I don't know if you want to just say it's uh, one plus one equals three or if it actually does equal two in this situation, but Odell gets hurt, Higgins wakes up, and he's part of the offense. I don't yeah. know what he's there. I think Higgins is a good player, and I don't think that's any uh, doubt. I mean, I think he's a solid three, and I think he could be a two. But I think Odell, the thing with Odell, he's always wanted to win. And I think it's misconstrued that he wanted to be the reason why they won. I think he knew he was the best player on the Giants, and I think that's why he wanted the ball so much. He's like, get me the ball. I can help us win. I think with the Browns, at this point in his career, he can take a step back and say, I can be a guy who can compliment what we're doing here. I just want to win. I I truly believe that. I mean, I could be wrong. We'll see what happens. But I believe that he is a guy who just got to the point where he was so sick of losing, and it was always the way it was with the Giants. Uh, and he was the only player making plays, doing things that were good enough to win, and, and he snapped. In 2016, it was the only year they made the playoffs with him, and he was the biggest, one of the biggest reasons why. And he did all those antics, and it kind of grew old on everyone, and New York media was all over it. I think Cleveland is his chance to, to write a lot of that stuff. Um, but before we let you go here, Corey, you wanted to make a comment about uh, <laughs> about uh, radio – I don't know if I'll call him legend, but radio guy Colin Cowherd. Uh, he loves your boy Baker Mayfield and his backwards hat. Um, he, uh, he acts like Baker Mayfield is the only quarterback to ever wear a backwards hat. But what did he say that really made you mad? All right. So Colin Cowherd, you know, he's just one of these talking heads that 
makes you crazy. But he said something today that just was so asinine. And besides all the big Mayfield crap that he says, and that's just just for the public radio. And I think what he said today was just for just to get himself out there. I don't know if you guys saw it or not, but he said that they should they should cancel this game on Sunday until Mahone can pass the protocol of, with concussions. And I know this is just a radio jargon thing. I I did college radio. I like you know I'm sure a lot of other people who out there, and you say things just to get people to do things out there, but. And as like somebody works for CBS, and you know more than anything now we want the State Farm Super Bowl, Brady versus you know uh, Rogers, It'd be huge ratings and everything else. But the idea of them canceling a game or proponents postponing a game because he can't, you know, protocol is absolutely ridiculous. And I understand it's just to get people out there. But Colin Cowherd, any respectability that you supposedly have, you gotta stop saying these stupid ass acidite things. <laughs> just to get people like me to get angry. And I understand why he does it because, you know, he got the reaction he wanted. But I'd love to get your guys' point of view is – and like I said, you're, you're not canceling games because of COVID where, you know – and I know we won, so, you know, it's, it's almost like asinine for me to complain after the fact. You know, half, half of the, the Browns team and their coach was not available. He wasn't complaining on the fact that, you know, we should cancel that game or postpone it. You know, I mean, we should cancel the AFC championship game because Mahone can't play possibly. Matt, you're the Mahomes guy. What do you think? <laughs> this bullshit by Colin Coward. You don't cancel a game. The, the game's there. Uh, I mean, uh, I have let my disdain for Colin Coward be known on so many levels. The guy's an asshat overall. You know, he's made a career out of saying stupid shit and have a following from fan bases that he favors. I mean, as a Bears fan, often at the end of his jokes, you know, I've had to deal with a lot of that. But some of the stuff that he spits out here, you don't cancel a game because a player can't play. When, to Corey's point, you had half the damn Browns out for a, what, a playoff game? The head coach wasn't even on the field? That's yeah. bullshit. No, if Mahomes can't go the game, you put your best guys out there. If Chad Henney can't beat Josh Allen, then the Bills belong in the Super Bowl. And one little stat for everyone here, the last – Four AFC championship games the Buffalo Bills have been a part of. They are four and oh. <laughs> we'll get to our game previews in a second, but just to answer your question, Corey, they made the Broncos play uh, play with a wide receiver playing quarterback. You know, it's just it's just not going to happen. I know Mahomes is so important to the league, but if you get you get Buffalo versus Tampa, you know, Bills make the Super Bowl only to play their hated division rival that escaped to the other conference for the first time. That's a hell of a storyline in the Super Bowl. You get the Buffalo Bills who lost four consecutive Super Bowls in the '90s. That you're going to make that's going to be great. I mean, you're going to have such a great fan base to support. Everyone's going to root for the underdog in the Bills, whether it is against the Bucks or the Packers. They're not worried about it. The Chiefs will be back. They're not worried about that. There's no way in hell they do that. I mean, you look, you have a COVID outbreak for the Super Bowl. That's another thing. You could probably postpone that game. You're not giving a special treatment to one player in particular, who happens to be the best player in the sport for a championship game when you have someone who can take his place. It's just not going to happen. You did it all year round. You, you, you figured out how to go around all this COVID crap all year. You're not going to change how you did it now. Uh, but, Corey, um, Look, we talked about the Browns a lot. I, you know, me and Matt both were high on the Browns coming into 2020. I was, they did me right. They made it all the way to the division round. They gave the Chiefs everything that they had. You probably feel like they had a chance there with Chad Henney in the game, but they couldn't get the job done. But we're going to see the Browns more in the playoffs in the future. So I have no doubt about that, my friend. I know you host the Workshoot podcast. Why don't you tell us a little about it when you when you guys are coming back? Uh, until the foreseeable future, until uh. Henry gets annoyed us, or uh, the pod jobbers uh, decide to kick our ass and you know take back their their spot, or 
whatever happens. Uh, me and a fellow member of this great uh, life group uh, world that we have, Jason Brooks, a big Packers fan, which uh, sure he's still giddy that the fact somehow, you know, they're in. Um, we do a show every Thursday at approximately 7 p.m. Eastern time, talking about all the good, bad, and a lot of the ugly known as main roster WWE, uh, AW, NXT, MLW, ROH. Uh, every once in a while, we'll talk about the guy that's uh, on your shirt, uh, CM Punk, one of the great uh, promo guys of all time. You know, he keeps himself in the uh, the know every once in a while. You know, saying he, he might come back if the money or the opportunities right. You know, said that on oral sessions on the Renee Paquette podcast a couple of weeks back. So. He's always makes it interesting. A uh, couple of big shows coming up for all those brands uh, the next couple of weeks. Um, we'll be talking this week about the uh, announcement. Next three years of WrestleMania locations have been named. Uh, mm -hmm. Interesting to see what Jay thinks in regards to two two nights this year. And as of right now, one night for the next two years. Talking the big uh, developments about the Royal Rumble. A lot of other things. You know, love to have either one of you guys on the pod. You know, whenever you, I know that you guys both have, you know, crazy schedules, but uh, love to share, you know, your, your takes on that and everyone else within the family. So, uh, of course, you know, check out Workshop Wrestling Podcast. Now, you guys are on episode 244. We'll be doing uh, episode 259. So, you guys have a little bit of a way to uh, catch up, but, you know, as always. 44. Just 44. Don't, we haven't put in that much work yet. Just 44. <laughs> 44. What did I say? 45? Yeah, we're, yeah, you said 244. Oh. <laughs> we're all, I'm we're only a year into this this yeah. journey, but hey, uh, I want in. I mean, the Royal Rumble is my favorite pay per view every single year. I love the Royal Rumble. I loved it since I was a kid. Uh, Ric Flair won the Royal Rumble in my hometown in 1992 when he won the Royal Rumble and won the WWF Championship. So I love the Royal Rumble. The rich history in my life. Uh, a fun fact about this shirt: I bought this off Pro Wrestling Tees of CM Punk's store. All the proceeds went to the family of John Huber. Uh, when he passed away yeah. just a couple weeks ago. So if you haven't got the chance, go check that out. Maybe go do something and support that family. Uh, unfortunately, a uh, popular wrestling figure in our time uh, recently passed, and I want to do something to support his family, and CM Punk was nice enough to give me that chance. So, uh, Corey, it's a pleasure to have you on. I wore the shirt specifically for you. You're a res resident wrestling expert. So, uh, hey, you're a Browns fan. Congratulations on the successful season. Nothing to be ashamed of. Bright future ahead for your Brownies. And as always, thank you for the time. And uh, like I said, hopefully you guys can get Jason uh, Brooks on to uh, talk about hopefully when either the Packers win or lose. And uh, secretly, uh, go anybody but the Packers so I can, he can join my misery as well. You know, <laughs> but, you know, I think it'll be in the Super Bowl in uh, two weeks. I'm on CBS, you know, hopefully we won't screw up, you know, what we did this week with the mm. people. But that's for another subject. <laughs> I can't really talk about that. But, as always, thank you for the time, guys. All right. Thanks, Corey. Thank you. All right. Corey Richmond uh, coming on to talk to us Browns. Matt, we always love having Corey on. We're going to have to hop on the wrestling show and break down some good old-fashioned wrestling. All right. We got one more game to talk about before we move on to the championship weekend, and it is the battle on the History Channel uh, of the two oldest quarterbacks ever, 43-year-old Tom Brady, 42-year-old Drew Brees, and it was Tom Brady getting the best of Brees. Look, uh, this wasn't my favorite game of the weekend, the game I wasn't looking forward to the most because uh, I think these two quarterbacks at this point in their career incredibly limited but uh it was the bucks winning 30 to 20 over the saints and, and matt if anyone uh really stuck out to me in this game uh you're the x's nose guy but i played football i can kind of know what i'm looking at here Devin white for the bucks was just all over the place man every play there was to be made on the defense he was in there making it 
speechless. I, I mean, when you talk about a single player wrecking everything that the Saints do. So basically, if you haven't watched the Saints the past two years or watched a lot of them, they live and die by the short 10-yard passing routes. Like, that's their territory. Devin White bought that shit up in a ball of smoke. Um, Breeze looked awful. They said, we dare you to throw it downfield. Go ahead, do it. And he yeah. couldn't. Um, I, I think without a shadow of a doubt, we witnessed Drew Breeze's last game. And yep. it was a prelude to what we talked about in the offseason. It, it was the battle with the OK Corral. You know, John Wayne versus Clint Eastwood here, you know, some historical guns. And Breeze just, it's done. It's done. You saw it on tape. Um, the game, you know, I'd be interested to look at the coach's film and see how Brady read the defenses. But the arm, you know, the mind may still be there, but that arm is done when you can't make those throws and and you can't fit it. You can only anticipate so much, Randy. And, you know, really what we saw from Brady, I wasn't really even that all impressed with Brady. You know, no. I thought he made the easy throws and he did what he, he could do. Yeah, to, to me, I think this is the last dance, you know, for Breeze. Congratulations yeah. to the Saints for a fun season. I mean, Brady wasn't very good either. Uh, he was 18 to 33, 199 yards, two touchdowns. Just, I mean, he looked very old in this game too with points. And I don't think the Bucks' offense has truly clicked. Uh, I think there's plenty of miscommunications and Brady making stupid throws and, you know, receivers not running the right routes. That's been a whole thing for the Bucks all year. But Drew Brees, 19 to 34, 134 yards, one touchdown, three picks. And the three picks were back-breaking. Uh, Jameis Winston, by the way, one of 156 yards and a touchdown. Uh, <laughs> free Jameis. I'll say this. The Saints were up 20 to 13 in this game when Breeze hits Jared Cook uh, for a ball in the middle of the field. He has the first down. He's still running. And then Antoine Winfield Jr., the rookie, punches the ball out, recovered by Devin White. And you can just feel all the momentum shift at that point. The Saints felt like they had controlled the game. The Bucs couldn't get anything going offensively. And at that point, it was just – this feels like the end for the Saints. That that one fumble, it's crazy how one turnover can change the momentum of a football game, and it did right there with Jared Cook. I felt like the Saints were going to win this game maybe by a double digits at that until that point. What did you think? I, I mean, I thought so too. I, I thought they were starting to pull away at certain points. I, I didn't think the Brady I, I didn't think Brady was gonna be able to do um anything that he did later on in the game, I, to, to me, I, I go back to what it, what I saw. And what I saw to be true is that the, the Saints had opportunities to win this game. But at the most important position, they had a colossal failure, and that's at quarterback. And anybody that wants to criticize Deshaun Watson, you know, you're giving up too much. Well, this is why you give up so much for a quarterback. Everything for the Saints was perfect. Everything was working well. Breeze doesn't throw those three interceptions. When how many points the Bucks got off those three Saints turnovers? Twenty-one points. Twenty-one points. Yeah. Twenty-one points. Breeze doesn't throw those three picks. We're talking about the Saints moving on to the NFC title game. But you know, th this is why you give up all that capital. Everything can be perfect, but if your quarterback is not good, 
you're not going to go very far. It just is what it is. Yeah. Um, look, I think it's time that for Drew Brees to retire, and it came out before the game that Jake Glazer said that Brees uh, will play his final game at the Superdome you know, before that game. And I think they said that he was going to retire after the season. So even if they won, they weren't going to play at the Superdome again. So they were anticipating this was the last home game for Drew Brees. Now we know it, it, it could be the last game for Brees. He said after the game, he's going to take some time to think about it. But I think all signs are pointing to Brees retiring here. The guy's played for 19 years. He's number one all-time passing yards, top three all-time touchdowns. I have a hard time deciding where Drew Brees ranks all-time, Matt. And you might have a better perspective on this than I do. Uh, but I find him somewhere in the, in the bottom half of the top 10. What do you think? Uh, it's complicated. For, um, he played at an era where heavily favored offenses. Um, and, and now when we talk about the top 10, Randy, I mean, we're talking about quarterbacks with multiple Super Bowls. Um, a lot of people consider Marino one of the greatest quarterbacks that ever lived. He didn't win any. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think anywhere between 8 and 13 is probably where he goes down, you know, mm-hmm. depending on how people view quarterbacks. Um, you know, one of the people that come to my mind is one of the greatest quarterbacks that ever lived, Warren Moon, hardly sees his name on any of these lists. But – um, Breeze doesn't have the arm strength, but he has the accuracy of Warren Moon. You know, Drew Breeze might be the most accurate quarterback that ever played football for such a long time, and he did more with less than any other quarterback I could possibly think of. Um, you know, I don't think we ever want to see these guys retire. And it's a piece of our childhood that we grew up 20 mm. years ago, Randy, when he was drafted. You know, a young Matt Bushnell was getting ready to graduate high school and continue <laughs> his football career in college. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where you watch and you feel it. You know, everything just happens so quick. But, yeah, I mean, he has to be conversation of top ten, and no matter how you slice it. Would I put him in the top five? Probably not, but definitely a – Definitely agrees. I, I agree with you on where you put him. Look, I, I look at what Drew Brees did as a quarterback, and he's undersized, and he never had the biggest arm ever, and he moved from a, a, a loser organization like the Chargers who drafted another quarterback while he was still there, and he had a decision to make. He could have gone to the Miami Dolphins. He didn't really have a decision to make, but he could have been t- – signed by the Miami Dolphins uh, and Nick Saban, and he failed his physical. They, his shoulder, they didn't like it. They said no thanks. So the Saints pick him up. And what he did for New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, which we obviously know they're still feeling the effects of that uh, 15 years later, what he did for the city by you know, winning the Super Bowl for them, uh, being the, the focal point of the Super Bowl team, him and Sean Payton are going to go down in history with, as one of the best head coach quarterback combinations ever, and I believe that. Uh, I think he benefits from a few things. Sean Payton is a great offensive mind. Uh, I think playing in a dome for uh, 15 years, no, no one wants to hear that, but I think that helps. I think that's partially why the Saints haven't had such so much success in the postseason. I think when you start playing outside, when it's windy and when it's cold, it affects you a little bit. Um, but as far as a guy go, Drew Brees is a hell of a guy, uh, Hall of Famer without a doubt, but only having one ring, 
look, you got one less ring than New Orleans legend Eli Manning. You know, I think that you can look back at his career and see that he only has one championship. You, The last four years have ended brutally for the Saints. And if you're a Saints fan, you probably have a bitter taste in your mouth that it didn't end differently for Drew Brees and you don't at least have one more. And I think they went all in on trying to win it for him. Michael Thomas, it came out today that he needs ankle surgery and he played to try to get Brees another chance to win the Super Bowl. Michael Thomas didn't have a single catch in that game. Uh, so I don't think he regrets it, but ultimately I think Breeze, uh, whether he wants to retire or not, I think it's the door is closing on him. And another door is opening at CBS, and I think he's going to be a great uh, color guy for uh, – not at CBS, NBC, I apologize. For NBC with Mike Tirico, looking forward to hearing that team in the future. Um, but overall, Breeze's legacy, I don't think it's that complicated, but also, also I think there are plenty of guys ahead of him. Yeah, yeah, definitely plenty of guys ahead of him. He deserves his place wherever it may fall. I'll be curious to see. um, Is NBC dumping the Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth booth? I don't think they're dumping it, but I think they're expecting Michaels to retire soon. And I think Collinsworth's contract situation is up in the air. So – and if they, if that if that team stays, you still have a number two now in Tariko and and Breeze until those guys are ready to move on. Because NBC they only get one game a week, but they're starting to get those Thursday games in the playoffs. You get uh, each of the night games. You know you might need a backup team for that. So it can't hurt to have another team ready to go. Especially Tariko, he's incredible. I, I think Tariko is one of the best play by play guys there is. But at the very least, you can have Tariko and Breeze do Notre Dame games on Saturdays. Which would be a good booth. I mean, and Breeze knows the Midwest. He knows Notre Dame. He played at Purdue. So, but yeah, yeah no, you know, a, a good career for Breeze. Top 10, top 15-ish, somewhere in that range. And, you know, yep. he'll make the Hall of Fame, no question about it. Nothing to be ashamed of. Not at all. Uh, I mean, I think he's a football legend, no doubt about it. And if it was the last time we got to see him play, it's been a pleasure, man. One of my favorite pregame uh, hype guys ever. If you ever get the chance, go. I mean, go on YouTube and watch the Breeze hype where he goes one, two, three, four, again, three, again, and then he just all oh, the whole team in sync, just going back and forth, and it is just it gets you so hyped up, ready to go. And then they all just do the oh, oh, oh. It is it breezes in the center of it. It gets me like, goosebumps just thinking about it. Uh, I mean, what Breeze means to football is is great. I mean, I, it's been a pleasure watching Drew play. So go check that clip out if you haven't. Maybe I'll post it in the group later. All right, that's enough of the divisional round. That has passed us. It is time for the final four this weekend. Both games on Sunday. The first one is Tom Brady traveling to Lambeau Field in the frozen tundra. Brady's bones might break as soon as he steps on the field. Uh, but it's the Tampa Bay Bucks traveling to play the Green Bay Packers. And my first thought when I look at this matchup, and it is a Aaron Rodgers legacy game, and I'll tell you why. Rodgers has lost his last three NFC title games. It was the blown game. They were up 16-0 against Seattle in Seattle. They got absolutely smoked in Atlanta when Atlanta made the Super Bowl. And last year, they get beat up by the 49ers. The biggest difference, all those games were on the road. This is the first NFC Championship game for Rodgers at home, and I think he has to win it. I think his legacy. Uh, it will be not defined by it, but severely hurt if they do not. Matt, your, your quick thoughts on Aaron Rodgers, NFC Championship game, home at Lambeau. He's going to win. I just think this is, you know, players look for motivations in the tiniest places. I know everyone laughed, everyone killed, everyone just blasted the Packers for drafting Jordan Love. But if Mm -hmm. the Packers make the Super Bowl, it was worth every 
damn <laughs> piece of criticism. Aaron Rodgers looks different this year. I know he struggled, he struggled at Tampa at Tampa, but that was like his one bad game this year. Yeah. Every other game has just been like Rodgers, lights out, boom, 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 three, four touchdowns here or there. It's a different Aaron Rodgers. Could they go in and lose this? Absolutely. I'm not saying that that's not a possibility, but, man, I don't see it, Randy. I think what Aaron Rodgers is going to do against a very bad secondary for Tampa that's beat up, Devontae Adams, Robert Tanyan, you know, Scantling, if if he gets deep, um, God, and Matthew of St. Brown, I butchered his name, but they got speed. <laughs> And I, I just think the Packers are well-suited to win this game, and Brady's in a farewell. And there's a reason why he left New England. He didn't want to go this route to the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> Well, that's a good transition because now we have Tom Brady back in the Final Four, which he played in nine comp- – or he, what did he play in? No, it was – He's played in 12 conference championship games, which is just insanity. I mean, he's his own organization at this point. Like, that is a ridiculous number to be a part of. Uh, My favorite stat um, is that the last 26 years, the Cowboys have made one NFC championship game, and they've been in the NFC for the last 26 years. Tom Brady has made one NFC championship game in the last 26 years, and has only been in the NFC for one year. So any chance you can uh, crap on the Cowboys, I'm I'm here for it. but look, I mean, Tom Brady, the Bucs were talented with Jameis Winston. The Bucs' problem was that they could not stop turning the football over. They had instability on the offensive side of the ball. If Brady did anything else, as he added an offensive genius mind to this offense. He doesn't turn the football over. He is smart. He gets on the guys. There's no doubt about that. They probably hate him. But he doesn't turn the football over, and he's smart enough to know what to do in certain situations. And Jameis Winston, uh, I love Jameis Winston. Super entertaining, but not that guy. Uh, so Brady in itself was the missing piece for this Bucks team in a way because they needed a guy who could come in and just understand what how to win and not turn the ball over in key spots. Brady finds himself here because he's so ridiculously smart, not because he's physically able still, not because he's the greatest quarterback of all time, because he is a great competitor and one of the smartest QBs I've ever seen. You could say you might know what's coming, Matt. I know that's what you're thinking, but in this case, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't think Arians is that kind of guy. But <laughs> this matchup is great because we never got – Brady versus Rodgers in the Super Bowl. We were close twice, and I, I'm so mad we didn't get it. But this is the battle of the 12s. One guy who's an MVP, another guy who's a three-time MVP formerly. Uh, Rodgers looking to make his second Super Bowl, potentially win his second Super Bowl on an absolute tear this year. Look, I know the Bucks are flawed. Uh, I picked him to make the Super Bowl before the season started. But I can't keep, I can't go with it. I think the Packers have been so good, too good all year long to have home field advantage to let a team from Florida come in here and beat them here. I think this is a Rodgers game that we're going to look back on and say, you know, he won MVP and this is why he's been this amazing all year round. And I, I, I mean, Matt, I want to get your official prediction, but I'm just going to tell you now. I think Green Bay wins this game, and I think they win it by ten and maybe even more. One big issue I saw from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers all year, lack of discipline on the offensive side of the football, mm-hmm. too many dumb penalties. Then you also have to worry about those tackles, not being able to protect Brady against the saints. You know, it, it's not very much of a pass rush type of defense. The Packers will bring the smoke. Like they are going to bring it with the Smith brothers, 
Um, Kenny Clark is just a mammoth human being up the middle. He's going to have to occupy two blockers. I mean, everything here, you know, favors the Packers in a weird way. I, I, I do think it's the Packers. Aaron Rodgers is masterful, and Akil brings up a good play. How many, how many free plays does Rodgers get over or under five free plays? I think it's under, but, I mean, three. you give Aaron Rodgers three free plays, he's going to kill you. I mean, he's the mm-hmm. most accurate deep ball passer I've ever seen in my entire life. I've never seen another human throw a deep ball with more accuracy than Aaron Rodgers ever. Mm-hmm. And the Bucks' biggest problem on defense is giving up the deep pass. And Breeze to do it, you challenge Aaron Rodgers to beat you deep, he's going to murder you all game long. I'm going to take the Packers 34, Buccaneers 13. Wow. Yeah, and this is the thing. You can't go into the same game plan as you did against the Saints because Rodgers is going to kill you in the ways that Brees can. Uh, the physical attributes are still there for Aaron Rodgers, and it's clear. Uh, the Bucks can get to the pass, uh, get to the passer, JPP, uh, and and those guys up front, uh, Dominic and Sue, clogging the middle. They have talent all over the place on defense. Uh, I love Devin White. <laughs> I love the way he played. Uh, he can make a huge impact in this game, and I think he will. I just – the Packers feel like one of the more complete teams we've watched this year. Uh, and I think Aaron Rodgers is just going to get it done. I think him and Devontae Adams are on a special tear. I think him and Bobby Tanyan, I love that he calls him Bobby, and he's never been called Bobby before. I think that's cool. Um, I think you're seeing A.J. Dillon start to come into his own. I think you're going to notice that uh, that it, maybe Aaron Jones leaves for another team, and we see A.J. Dillon next year. The guy has quads like Saquon does. Uh, they're just absolutely beastly quads, but – I think this is going to be a hell of a game, but I do think the Packers win by 10. I'm going to say 31-21. Green Bay clinches the NFC and clinches a berth to Super Bowl 55, I think we're at. Right, Matt? It's 55. I found my check, 55. All right, 55 it is. And then that leads us to the AFC title game. And, Matt, I almost feel like we have to make two separate predictions for this. However, I'm going to throw out this prediction right off the top here. All this speculation. Patrick Mahomes, he's in concussion protocol. Is he going to play? <laughs> Look, the NFL does not give a shit, a single shit about their players' safety. Pat Mahomes is going to play in this football game, guys. I, I don't know what to tell you. There's no way Pat Mahomes is sitting out of this game. I don't know how you feel, but that was my pretty much initial thought once they started to say, oh, he feels great. We'll see how he does in a couple days. There's no way Pat Mahomes isn't playing in this game. An act of God, I think, would have to keep Mahomes out of this game. <laughs> and I don't see that happening. Um, from my perspective, I you take a look at the Chiefs. And the best thing that could happen to the Chiefs happened to the Chiefs. It was when it got knocked out of the game, I think it did two things. It showed them that their margin of error is thin. Even for as good as they are, they still have to play really good football at both ends, offense and defense. Secondly, I hope to God... Andy Reid takes that stupid fucking option, balls it up, and throws it in the trash can. Why you run an option with the best quarterback in the NFL is beyond stupid. Not only which makes it stupid, it's amplified because you did it on third down and you were up by, what, 10? 
What the? And he was hobbled already. And his foot was already hurt. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, what are you doing? I, I, th- th- to me, it, it was incredibly stupid. For as smart as Andy Reid is, and as much credit, do you know what that kind of harkens back to me? The reason why the Eagles never won a Super Bowl with them, the reason why they never got to more Super Bowls, is because Andy Reid got in his own way. Mm-hmm. Don't don't put your quarterback in that position ever again. Patrick Mahomes should never run another quarterback option for the rest of his fucking career. I mean, <laughs> Mitch Trubisky, let him run the option because the drop-off isn't that big. The drop-off from Mahomes to Chad Henney? I mean, what? It's from what? Earth to Pluto? I mean, <laughs> it's not even comparable. It's so big. Yeah. I, I mean, Pat Mahomes runs. It's not like he doesn't use his legs, but it's usually spontaneous. It's usually when there's nobody open or he can get a few yards to get a first down. It's not a designed run, which is easier to defend, and it's not with a pitch man behind him that he just ignored <laughs> altogether and in which he took on a linebacker one-on-one. When you're rolling out and you decide to reach out to get the first down or you slide, you're not taking that kind of hit. Pat Mahomes said, all right, Mac, I'm just going to let you just crush me when I try to get this first down. You can't put your, your quarterback who was already hobbled in that situation. Absolutely just unbelievable call, especially when you've been killing them with crossing routes all day. All you have to do is say, hey, Kelsey, run seven yards and turn around. The ball will be there, and you get the first down. Hand the ball off to Daryl Williams. Daryl Williams looked amazing. Uh, just, it just didn't make any sense to me, that play call. And, yeah, I, I don't think they're just going to throw it in the garbage. I think they are going to launch it to Pluto. Uh, that play call <laughs> is all but dead to me. Um, there's no way Pat Mahomes is playing this game. I, I'm sorry. They're already even trying to spin it. With Jake Glazer, I don't know if you saw his report. They said that it felt like he got choked out. Like if you if like you're a UFC fighter and you get choked out and you wake up and yeah. you're a little woozy. Because the head the the hit wasn't like helmet to helmet or like anything like that. It was a weird hit. So they're already trying to spin it like he never had a concussion to begin with. Like I'm telling you, this is what's gonna come out later and on Friday. Like Pat Mahomes never really had a concussion, maybe a mild one at best. But he's absolutely playing in this football game. Believe it. I'm just telling you right now, there's no way Chad freaking Henny is playing in this game, uh, unless Mahomes ends up with another concussion next week. All right, so Pat Mahomes. Obviously, we we love Pat Mahomes. He's going to play. I'm just telling you right now he's going to play. The other quarterback in this game, I posted in the group earlier. There was a post like, (laughs) oh, which quarterback do you want down four with two minutes left? One of these things is not like the other. You can give me three of these guys down four with two minutes left, and I feel pretty good. You give me Josh Allen, I don't really know how well I feel. And I know he's had an unbelievable year, but do you have any faith in Josh Allen going into Kansas City in this game? Nope. Uh, to me, Josh <laughs> Allen is just – I mean, if Stephon Diggs gets hurt, God help this team because you can have Cole Beasley's little three-yard digs all you want. It's not going to mean a damn thing. Stephon Diggs gives this offense. They, they can't run the football. They cannot. You give us 20 minutes of possession time in a half, you're going to be down 28 real and you're going to have to be figuring out how to do it. To, to me, the Chiefs are going to come in with a very simple game plan. Baltimore could not throw the football. Buffalo didn't think they could. They challenged them. They couldn't do it. You blitz Patrick Mahomes, you are dead on arrival. He's going to mm-hmm. spot that. They're going to put Travis Kelsey there. They're going to put Sammy Watkins there, Hardman there. 
Who, whoever you want to name. If Sammy Watkins plays, good luck to you. Tyreek Hill, it doesn't matter. The weapons are endless. Clyde Edwards-Alaire should be back for this game. It, it, it is going to be a real difficult challenge for the Bills to pick their poison. And Josh Allen's going to have to play the game of his life in Kansas City. Windy as hell there. It, the, the inclement weather's going to be there. I don't love this game for Buffalo. I, I think it's the Chiefs. I don't think it's going to be as a big of a point spread as we see with Packers and Bucks. Right. I, I do think the Chiefs win this game. And with Mahomes at quarterback, no quarterback options, no Chad Henney. <laughs> but I, I, I like the Chiefs to win this game rather easily. They're not going to be sweating too much. The only thing that worries me is the Chiefs' defense. I don't think the Chiefs' defense is great by any means. Uh, I think they are fortunate to get that call against the the Browns where the ball bounces out of the end zone and they get the ball back. I mean, that changes the game altogether. I know it's the rule. You made a play. I'm not criticizing you for that, but I think they're fortunate for that. I think the Bills might move the ball pretty well here, but it comes down to can the Chiefs keep them out of the end zone because Tyler Bass has been shaky <laughs> this playoffs, to say the least. He missed a couple kicks on Saturday night as well. So if the Chiefs can, you know, do this bend, don't break thing, keep Josh Allen out of the end zone, keep Diggs out of the end zone, make them kick field goals. Look, field goals aren't going to beat the Chiefs. Uh, so to me, it comes down to the Chiefs. If the Chiefs do the same formula they did when they played the Bills the first time, or they ran the ball, I believe they had over 250 rushing yards against the Bills the first time they played. They could play keep away, uh, and their defense is fresh. And they prepare well for Josh Allen. I mean, Tyron Matthew was all over Baker Mayfield. I think he might be doing the same kind of thing with Josh Allen this week. Uh, I expect the Chiefs to come in there with a similar game plan. They're going to run the ball, run the ball until the Bills say, you know what, you're not running anymore. Here comes play action passes. Here comes Travis Kelsey over the middle. Here comes Tyreek Hill deep. Uh, I think it's a bad matchup for the Bills defense too. If the Bills are in a shootout with the Chiefs, I'm sorry, sign me up for the Chiefs. Uh, I'm going to say Kansas City 37, Buffalo 28 uh, is my final score. Matt, what's your final score? I will go the Chiefs 27 to Buffalo's 14. All right. You have a lot more faith in uh, the Kansas City's defense than me. We'll see what happens. All right. Matt, that, I mean, our final four this is an exciting weekend in the NFL, man. Uh, Super Bowl on the line this weekend. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to watch. Um, we will be back next Tuesday. But, Matt, uh, we got plenty of other shows in the Life Group umbrella before we say goodbye. Why don't we tell them about it? Absolutely, Randy. Wednesday, we have the step back with Jacob Anthony Moses, Leon Tompkins. They don't sing, but they should. If we give them any lessons oh just sing a tune boys you can be in the grammys with us but no the step back love their analysis love their breakdown leon and jacob are as good as it gets breaking down basketball nicks look halfway decent they're playing defense under tibbs so i'm sure they have plenty to say about that and leon gets to celebrate james harden now with the brooklyn nuts so i'm sure he's very happy about that and Thursday, the Work Shoot Wrestling Podcast with our good friends, Corey Richmond and Jason Brooks. Corey was so kind enough to join us. Lots of wrestling stuff. Uh, Randy Orton gets shoot with a fireball in his face, apparently. <laughs> and now he's wearing a Luchador Max. Um, Chris Jericho's extremely overweight, and NBA people are making fun of him. So that's a thing, apparently. So Corey and Jason Brown, I love listening to their wrestling podcast. Brings the kid out in me again. Yes. You know, 11-year-old Matt 
trying to pretend the Undertaker's winning WWF titles <laughs> left and right. And then Sunday, we have Felipe Melicio and Sean Flannery with the Total Bases podcast. Listen to it today. Very excellent stuff on the White Sox, Randy. Why you're you be scared of them because they're coming mm. like a freight train, baby. Okay. And then Monday, DJ we have LeMahieu, Colin... Corey Kluber, you know, what do we have to worry about? Come on, baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> don't bet on that guy. <laughs> Your number two starter had elbow right, baby. shoulder reconstruction surgery. Nothing to see here. <laughs> no, then... no worries. <laughs> and then you have your Yankee fan, Long City, Vince Mercandetti and Henry Maldonado Jr. They break it down, give you a fresh perspective. I'm sure they have a lot to say about that Mets ex-general manager and his dirty habit. And then we're back, right? Yeah. PSA, no no woman wants to see it, all right? <laughs> just yeah. don't do it. <laughs> keep, just, it in just your don't pants, do. keep it in your pants and off your phone. So... Yeah. And, and then As Herm Edwards once said, and what Herm Edwards once said, don't press send. <laughs> don't press send. Do not hit send. Yeah. And then we're back, baby. We're breaking down a Chiefs Bills AFC title game and a Packers Bucks NFC title game. NFL pulled it off this year. Kudos to the NFL. You showed us many things. More or less, you don't care about a player's health or safety. <laughs> but hell, you provided us 19 weeks of entertainment thus far, or 20. That's right. All right. Well, Matt, it's a pleasure as always. Tuesday nights, we love rocking, talking some football. Can't believe we made it to this point, how fast the season has gone by. Thank you guys so much for joining us, whether you're live with us on Facebook, on YouTube, whether you're listening to us on any of our audio-only platforms. Thank you so much for making us part of your day, wherever you may be. Thank you so much for all of the support. All right, for Matt Bushnell, I'm Randy Hammond. This has been Football.